I just don't think I can continue to live in a place that embraces and nurtures apathy as if it was virtue. You know different, you know better. I didn't say I was different or better. I'm not. Hell, I sympathize. I, I sympathize completely. Apathy is a solution. I mean, it's, it's easier to lose yourself in drugs than it is to cope with life. Yeah. It's easier to steal what you want than it is to, to earn it. Yeah. It's easier to beat a child than it is to raise it. Hell, love costs, it takes effort and work. We are talking about people who are mentally ill. No, no, yes. we're not. No, no. Today. We're, we're, we're talking about everyday life here. Welcome to The Fear of God, episode 61. First thing I want to say, happy Halloween, everybody, because this episode, if you're listening to it the day it broadcasts, then we hope you have some exciting and fun Halloween things planned. We hope your October has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, Here at this show, we have a conversation every week about faith and fear, the intersection of Christianity and the horror genre. And who are we exactly? Well, uh, my name is Reed Lackey, and I'm here in the room with a celebrity. I'm here in the room with somebody just immensely famous. You know that I have a proclivity to meet celebrities, and I have met one and brought one home. So, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Nathan Rouse. Nathan, how are you? Reed, that's... That's some kind of intro. I don't know if I can live up to all of that. But happy Halloween to you, my friend. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween to everyone at home. This has been a very fun series. Oh, I've loved it. I've loved every bit of it. I don't think people know your pedigree. People don't know that you're the star of Shallow Hal. They don't know what is happening right now. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yes. So, yes, I was an extra in Shallow Hal. I'm all over the trailer and certain scenes. And one day, hopefully, I'll have a better, uh, a better badge of honor because I still have people occasionally on Facebook from my uh, life 15 plus years ago who'll just email me, just Facebook me screenshots when it was on TV. Hey, there you are. And I want to say, yeah, there you are. Uh. <clears throat> so, yes, thank you, Reed, for bringing up Shallow Owl. <laughs> um, but uh, as so as you a couple of things you can immediately tell listeners. Number one, uh, we're in the same room together, which we normally co- we normally podcast remotely. So this is very fun. Expect a little bit of frivolity and a bit of uh, glee and perhaps some silliness, uh, which which is probably which necessary. Never happens, right? <laughs> but it's probably nef- necessary given the movie that we're uh, discussing. Although uh, you picked it, 
as uh, as your very favorite. So so the first thing that we want to do is uh, we want to take you back. The last couple of episodes, uh, we've been remote. We've been on location, if you will. Um, and we hope you've enjoyed hashtag I love the 90s, especially on location at Universal's Halloween Horror Nights. So um, we want to take you back there very briefly so that you can hear the reveal of your top 10. We recorded that while we were there on location. So, um, so I'm going to take you there and then we'll be right back. That is freaky! That right there! Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, dog. Is that you blowing on the back of my head? Three years ago, my friends were asking me to have a fun book. It awoke something in the woods. That book is awesome. Something. walking through a maze. Don't feel bad. He's pushing me left, right, up, down. Oh my I'm surprised God. I've still got a head. Oh, man. Woo! Oh. oh, yeah, we're just going into the saw one now. Right, right. We're yeah. just walking right into the saw one. Oh. This will have a little bit longer. Looks like the weight's starting yeah. to yeah. amp up a bit. Um, do you want to go ahead and do top ten? We should. Yeah. Okay, so... So it's really appropriate that we just walked out of Ash vs. Evil Dead. Right. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to reveal the ultimate. your top ten. This is cool, man. It's been a good series, despite the fact that I've lost years off my life in the last two hours. <laughs> oh, and I've almost killed you. More than once. Okay. More than once. So I'm drenched. So it's really appropriate that we just came out of Ash vs. Evil Dead because, listeners, number 10, you voted your number 10 is... That's, don't worry, everyone. That's someone being murdered right behind us. Right behind us. You voted in as number 10, Army of Darkness, which is Ash versus the Evil Dead. I mean, not the series, yeah, okay. but... Is it called Ash vs. Evil Dead? No, it's called Army of Darkness. Right. And... Um, and it is the third in the series of Evil Dead films featuring Ash versus the Evil Dead. Um, you've never seen this, right? No. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. It's almost more comedy than it is yeah. horror. It's very, very fun. And I love... Well, interestingly, much of what we just went through, half of the element was just Ash. You know, so oh, yeah, yeah. You can tell it's a Which is different. great. And every time you would yell groovy at him or everything, he, was, he would like give you a fist bump or something it was great yeah it was really cool um so yeah I, I i i wasn't too surprised to see this top 10 i knew it had a shot at making it but um i i wasn't too surprised when i saw it land in the list um after evil dead or army of darkness whatever it is um army of darkness 94 number nine on the list top 10 90s horror movies number nine is directed by Neil Jordan from 1994, Interview with the Vampire, featuring Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Kirsten Dunst, uh, based on the Anne Rice book and or series of books. Um, That's right. I have seen this. I do like it. 
Yeah. Uh, and Christian Slater's in this too. Christian Slater is in this. This was the biggest surprise to me really? in the listener voting. Yeah, because I did not expect this to make top 10. I thought maybe this had a shot at like top 30. Right. I never expected it to make number nine. I mean, it's it's in ranks with such films, you know, the ones we've already covered, it's in ranks with such films as Misery and Blair Witch Project and Jurassic right, Park. Right, right, so, right. so yeah, and Scream. Like, I, I, yeah, I never expected this to be a top 10 film. But, um, but I mean, I, you know what? Maybe I need to revisit it. Uh, I did like it, but I don't remember being so enamored with it that I was like, like I would easily, personally, would easily substitute a Candyman or a Tremors for Interview with a Vampire. But I mean, this People is spoken. and yeah, and this has pushed me to kind of want to to revisit it. You know, to kind of want to see it. <clears throat> so number eight is uh, what we started the series with. Yep. We're finally revealing the placement of these films that we only teased at before. So number eight, The Blair Witch Project. Which I loved. Great movie. Wonderful film, as we already know, holds up really, really well. Um, and yeah, and I th this was no surprise to me, as I mentioned on our episode. That's I knew this was going to be in the top ten somewhere. I didn't know quite where it was going to place, but I knew it was a top ten contender. Started the subgenre of found footage. Um, really substantial contributor. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I love it. Blair Witch Project. Uh, number seven in the top ten will be Francis Ford Coppola's 92 Dracula, featuring Gary Oldman and Keanu Reeves. Um, much like... Anthony Hopkins. Really? Yeah. Okay, I wasn't looking at the list. He plays uh, Harker. Or not Harker, not Harker, uh, Van Helsing. He plays Van Helsing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, much like the Bela Lugosi Dracula, I will always think now of the production, the stage production my theater company did of Dracula Bites, which is a spoof send-up of the Dracula story. Nonetheless, good movie. Bram Stoker's Dracula is, is really gothic and I think takes the core story of Dracula in some fascinating directions that I love. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not at all surprised that it made number seven. Uh, number six, we had an extensive conversation about, you can go hear our thoughts on that. Uh, but number six, ladies and gentlemen, you voted in Misery, directed by Rob Reiner, written by Stephen King. Uh, wonderful film and as we already discussed in detail, you know, very timely, very, you know, appropriate. Um, so, yeah. So, number number six was Misery. Tell them what number five was. Number five. Surprising both of us. I, mean, I was very surprised. Sure. This would even be in consideration. Uh, would be 93 Steven Spielberg directed Jurassic Park. Yep. Um, which was, we, we did in third in our I Love the 90s series. Yeah. Great movie. Um, you know, nothing but positive things to say about it. Absolutely, yeah. As we as we talked about extensively a couple weeks <laughs> and, ago. And I sort of crave it right now. <laughs> right? The, the balming comfort and safety of a T-Rex devouring you. <laughs> I would take that right Versus now. Versus any of the right, other right, stuff. Right. That's right. Um, so, number four, um, well-deserving its place. I thought this had a shot at number one. Yeah. Um, but uh, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. 1999's The Sixth Sense. So good. That's great. That's great. We concluded <clears throat> Springtime for Shyamalan right. with an extensive conversation about that. Please go back and revisit that whole series, really. Oh, man. Because that time. was so much fun. Um, Number three uh, from 1997, 1996, directed by Wes Craven, would be Scream. That's right. Which was our... Hang on. Oh, boy. We'll, uh, we'll tag back with you in a second, listeners. We're about to... Uh, face the games of Jigsaw. I've not seen any of these. The first one's great. Really? Yeah, the first one's great. 
Mickey's not so scary Halloween Friday. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not I seeing... left him at the American Horror Story. I'm, I'm not seeing the series to know what know. crap that oh, pig man God. is. Jeez. Oh, the freaking weed. <laughs> Oh, oh man. Oh, oh god. <laughs> what did you think? I'm like, get that over! Oh man. Dude. So that was the jigsaw. Or the yeah, saw. Saw. Oh man. Alright, so you people. Now finally. Be thankful you're not here. So now finally. Yeah, so number three was whatever it was. <laughs> number three. Oh, Covered it extensively last week. Very fun, yeah. very strong. Uh, we love it. We think it holds up really, really well. So, um, so you're number two. You're number two. Yeah, number two got left in that maze. <laughs> <laughs> number two, which we covered extensively after the passing of Jonathan Demi, is The Silence of the Lambs. Yep. Uh, definitely an icon. I thought it might make number one. So, um, but number two is is when you hear number one, I think number two is totally understandable and appropriate. Um, so, yes. Number it's, one. Uh, and I get, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, because we had an extensive conversation about Silence of the Lambs. You're number Go back one and listen to that. the top favorite 190s horror movies. We're about to, you're about to be party to an extensive conversation on once we leave this nightmarish hellscape. Um, is David Fincher's Seven, starring Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Those and you know what? what? Yeah, we don't even need to say too much about it right now because right. listeners are about to be right. privy to a whole conversation about it. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm envious of them because it means they're not here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, well, listeners, guys, yeah. yeah, good job, listeners. That was... That was absolutely outstanding. It was phenomenal. I was really happy with this list. Nathan. Yeah. You doing all right? I'm, I'm here. I don't know that I'm like present and able-bodied or able-minded. Sure, sure. That's a big donut. That is a big donut. Um, big, so that was your top, top 100, top 10 right there. There you go. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you for your participation. It's been great. Uh, we'll see you in a minute when we're talking about seven. Welcome back, everybody. So, as you know by now, uh, you know you picked the top ten, and that's what we've been discussing all month long. You picked Blair Witch Project, Misery, Jurassic Park, Scream. Those were all in your top ten. Silence of the Lambs, uh, Sixth Sense, Bram Stoker's Dracula. All of those are just phenomenal entries, and and uh, we really think that you've done a good job selecting your top ten. But you picked number one. Number one, you selected a really, uh, you know, summer feel-good film. Uh, a film with uh, <clears throat> delights aplenty. Uh, I'm, I'm totally teasing, of course. It's, it's still probably on record one of the darkest films that I've ever seen, uh, ever. And that is David Fincher's Seven. Um, so we are now going to have an extended conversation about... David Fincher's Seven, and Man. we will we will uh, post the top 100 up on the Facebook page. Ah, um, yes. If not the day of this recording's release, then in the the 48 ish or so hours after it, so that you can peruse 
and reminisce and sentimentalize and wonder why the dentist didn't make the top 10. <laughs> or if you're Blake, wonder why so many things beat the people under the stairs. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Um, uh, what is nice about that audio clip we just played from the top 10 on site is that you can't hear me peeing my pants with dread and fear <laughs> at the experience of Halloween Horror Nights <laughs> Universal. <clears throat> so yes, today we're talking about seven. Um, this is our second David Fincher with Zodiac previously, um, earlier this year. I, the, the rewatch of Zodiac for the podcast affirmed, uh, my appreciation of that movie. The rewatch of seven for this podcast affirmed just how th- this is one of few movies I can point to. I don't know about you, Reed. One of few movies I can point to that I will unabashedly say is a near perfect mm. in terms mm-hmm. of just filmmaking. Sure. It is near flawless. And yet, at the same time, what it does to you as a viewer almost makes it... You know, there are movies at times, so I'm, I'm thinking in this case of like maybe Bone Tomahawk. You right, always recommend right. like Bone Tomahawk, which is a great movie, but with a caveat. Just bear in mind. It's sure. It's a dreadful scene. Yeah, right. It's terrible. Right. right. Uh, Matt Wiggins. Sorry, buddy. Um, <laughs> seven, I, I don't know how to recommend it. Not as in right, I can't right. or, or wouldn't, but right. as in like... No, this movie is dripping with despair. Yeah. You have to be able... I, I would say you have to be able to handle anything. On Like, like sincerely, wonderfully executed film, pu- fully realized, and as you mentioned, near flawless in its execution and in its concept. There's one ding that I'll give to it when we get to likes, dislikes, but, but near flawless in its concept and execution. Uh, but to watch it, you have to be able to handle anything. You got to be able to handle violence. You got to right. be able to handle gore. You got to be able to handle language. You got to be able to handle uh, emotional distress and despair. Uh, but yes. to me, this—you know—we often talk about <clears throat> the vernacular of horror movie experience and like the jump scare versus dread or what have you. Sure. And you know, we're, we're a month out from our it conversation with the body and the blood fellas, and as we discussed in that it, the movie it has a lot of jump scares. Like you just, but. What what can be problematic about jump scares inherently is they don't linger with you that much. You sure, know, you, right, you, you can right. walk, you can kind of brush them off and walk out of the theater into the sunlight, and there you go. Mm-hmm. Seven, and this I have in my likes is likes from beginning to end is a dreadful movie. Yes, it really I mean, is. The tone, yeah. the actions on screen, the thematic stuff, just all of it is dreadful. And and I was unprepared. I don't know if my viewing of it caught me at a particularly vulnerable moment or what, but you know, I've seen this, this is at least my third time, maybe fourth. Um, and in previous lives, previous viewings, the world to me didn't feel quite so dark. And, and, and so I could sort of compartmentalize what seven does. Right. As someone with a generally hopeful worldview, the world can feel pretty dark to me personally these days. That's not necessarily for everybody, but to me personally. Right. And so this viewing of seven, it, it <laughs> it's funny, a, a previous viewing, the most previous viewing to this one, my wife had watched with me a number of years ago. And, and I actually, she, she will point to it as like, why did you make me watch that? <laughs> and this time around, I texted her an apology. She wasn't at the house. Wow. Wow. When, I watched it, but knowing her sensibilities now, knowing how it made me feel this time around, I was like, I'm sorry, this is so dark. You know, like, it, right, it, like right. there were moments 
in a way, my experience before had not yielded. Like I was in tears, like Mm. it's so heavy. Right. Um, right. but, but anyway, that was sort of my experience of it. You've for described for us, like, is this mini viewings? Is it just sort of intermittently through over the years? I think it's probably fourth or fifth viewing at this. Yeah. Fourth or fifth viewing at this point, but it is, it, it holds a distinct record. It is to date the only film that I've ever seen that made me actually lose sleep. Wow. It's the, it's the only one. I saw it when I was 15. Right. And it is specifically some of the things related to John Doe's treatment of his victims. Sure. Burrowed into my psyche in a way I wasn't ready for. Right. And I could not sleep that night. Wow. Like, I, like I, and, and out of fear, not restless, disturbed. Like sure. I, I was scared. Right. And, um, and so, yeah, and, and Seven is, to date, the only film that has ever done that to me. Do you have, like, for me, and I haven't watched them all freshly, but this would probably be my favorite Fincher. Oh, um, yes, yes. I did like Zodiac a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, like I said, that reviewing for the podcast really cemented that affection. Sure. I like Fight Club. Um, I, I don't. Like, really? But, yeah, I don't care um, I, and, and and granted, it's been since college since I've watched it, so who knows what a rewatch would yield these days. But I do like it. But Seven is just so... I mean, I texted you immediately after the most recent viewing for this and said, I think this is a perfect movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like it is uh, just unapologetically bleak and needs to be. I'll... I'll uh, I'm, I'm actively resisting. I've done it a couple of times, so I'm just going to dive right here, and then maybe we'll bounce into a couple of trivial bits. My one dislike to the concept of the film has nothing to do with Fincher's directing, nothing to do with the execution, nothing to do with anything. I do find it difficult to suspend my disbelief that John Doe's full plan could have reached its culmination so flawlessly. Like, when you think about the time beforehand that he had to plan, but then also how Mills' character plays into it, ultimately, it all feels a bit... Convenient. Convenient, and and perhaps a bit too preposterous. But but that one thing aside, if you accept, okay, just going to accept that this thing happened, then from there, everything works. Sure. From there, thematically, directorially, uh, everything about it works you know to, uh, to that point and uh, you know we'll get into this when we get into themes but you mentioned just sort of in passing just it it's a hard world like like the world is hard and are you are, it, it might be both are you speaking specifically to the real world or to the movies world i'm speaking you, to both right, right now right. like like i know it's halloween one of the things that i love about halloween is the the opportunity the time to sort of uh, engage with things that are terrifying in a very fantastical and cartoonish kind of way. Um, and, 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 you know, our, our event at Horror Nights is, for me, a very cathartic exercise. I, I'm so sorry about all the things that happened to you. But it's, it's very cathartic to me to be able to purge a lot of that sort of fear in a very fantastical, controlled, and safe kind of way. But then you look at what's going on uh, in the world around us, and it, it, it's it's gut-wrenching and, right. and heartbreaking and, and can be terribly bleak. And, and I don't want to get us into themes, so I'll just, I'll just sort of mention that as a teaser for some of the things I'm going to be thinking about when we, get to, when we get to themes. But by way of trivial bits, I have only one, and it's a doozy. So they do test screenings of films. Uh, that's a frequent 
common practice. Um, they did a test screening of this film. And as you know, they can't say like what the movie's about because they don't want to influence the audience expectation sure. one way or another. But they do say, and <laughs> talk about audience expectation, they do say uh, who the stars are and give some context for what those stars might have been in before. The test screening, Nathan, for seven said starring Morgan Freeman of Driving Miss Daisy <laughs> and Brad Pitt of Legends of the Fall. Wow. And that test audience <clears throat> for Driving Miss Daisy and Legends of the Fall made their way into seven. Wow. And it did not test well. Sure. <laughs> it did sure, not sure. test well. But they ultimately, you know... There's a lot of sleepless nights. That uh, audience I'm that sure. Night. I'm sure. Uh, I always just think that's so funny just as, a, as an example of how test screenings can be, you know, they can undermine their own logic at a certain point. Um, but uh, as far as trivial bits, that's, that's really all that I had to mention. We can dive right into likes, dislikes, unless you had something. No. Um, so I've already mentioned my major dislike. The big like that I would have on the film, the film... So we talked when we mentioned Misery. This is a film that does not feel of the 90s. Sure. Tonally, it's aesthetic. It's general aesthetic. Um, it, it feels apart from that. Right. It actually feels a bit more sort of late 2000s in right. terms of its general aesthetic. Um, and I find that fascinating because this is 95. This is in the heart right, of the 90s. Right, this right, is in right. the middle of the 90s. Well, and I, I thought you were about to say this. You could also make a case, not necessarily for the um, clothing and, and, and cultural elements, but you could almost make a case of like a 70s kind of noir oh, yeah. vibe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. at the same time, like you just said, while, yes, this clearly takes place in New York City, you could sub in major metropolitan area. Like, oh, right, like, right. I mean... Mm -hmm. Now New York has its own. It's even that phrase does not quite do it justice. But there is a universality to this movie that actually makes it part of that scare factor. Part sure, of that dread right, is right. just, oh my god, you know this yeah, could sort of yeah. be anywhere. I think for me, I've got a number of likes dislikes. One, the top of the list, it just says Morgan Freeman is so good. Oh um, yeah, oh yeah, and and. I cite a specific on this likes dislikes list uh, scene. It's the scene where he's riding in the back of the cop car with Mills, while Mills tells the story of the guy whose name he can't remember. I think right. it's when they're talking about discharging the gun. Yes, yes. And Freeman's face, the look on his face, what I wrote is it's so tragic and just kind of hang dog, like 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 his expiration date has already passed. Mm, you know mm -hmm. like it's and that it's never going to end yeah it's just this bleak sad moment in a movie full of them but him in this and and this this will segue well into another like i love and hate that this movie is not just a new old buddy cop kind of scenario right right that's your foundation mm -hmm. but it is not that no and what is so brilliant, and one of the things that is so brilliant, is the propulsion of the story is rooted in them, is rooted in their characters. Right. You know, Mill's right. passion. And his ambition. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, his ambition, but, but his passion is what leads to the fate of all of them. Sure. You know, like, right. like in other words, John Doe taking advantage of him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's interesting, like, I hadn't thought about, though, I, I once you started on this 
thought train. I sort of knew where you're going. The plausibility or not of John Doe's master plan, like I can sort of see both because I think there's such a and and actually on my scare list, though I don't know that we're there quite yet, but on my scare list is the moment in the stairwell. Right. I mean, Brad Pitt seals his fate right there. Yes, he does. Yeah. And so I think from that standpoint, I can kind of buy the plausibility a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. the the puzzle pieces were just waiting for John Doe to find. Sure. And he kind of stumbles onto that one and there you go. Right. And so from that standpoint, it doesn't bother me quite so much, though I do recognize what you're saying. And you know A lot has to work together. Sure. For this all to work out. And you know what? I'm going to backpedal a moment. One of the things that I'm presuming, and the film never says this, one of the things that I'm presuming is I'm presuming that John Doe always intended it to be found within the same week, but the, but the film never says that. Right. So in another world, or in an, if, if Mills wasn't in the picture, maybe the ultimate plan would have taken much longer. Right. It just, in my initial sort of assessment or, or uh, expressing that dislike, there was this ex- sort of a an assumption that it was always meant to come together in the same week, but that's, right. that I think is coincidental the fact right. that it happens to overlap this one week and that it all does culminate that well way. and if anything their involvement accelerates things yes you yes know, i mean them finding his place all Certainly. that sort of stuff i love just just a random note i love a that spacey's name is not in the opening credits oh yeah brilliant that was his choice yeah. did you know oh, that? really I yeah it was his yeah. but spacey figured- spacey specifically wanted his name out of the opening credits because he said then people who had seen him would be looking for him right and uh, and so as a uh, an accommodation because of that, his name has a solo title card before directed by David Fincher, just Kevin Spacey as John Doe, and then and then at the end, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and then that's it. So it's, and I, you know what, I, I said it's before David. I would need to go back and look at it. Um, my memory is telling me the very first title card after Cut to Black is Kevin Spacey as John Doe, mm. and that that was a specific accommodation right, for him right, being right. left out of the opening credits. Well, it's brilliant, regardless. You know, just yes. Yeah. Because again, we talk a lot about expectations and all that sort of stuff. The unfortunate thing is, while this movie has a universality to it, I don't know you could pull that off today. No, you know, no, I mean, no. The internet and being what it is. Meta knowledge. No. I love that Mills gets cliff notes. Yeah. You know, Isn't it like, great? As, yeah. As Morgan Freeman is doing all this research uh, and finding all these books and the literary sort of component, and sure, and yeah. Mills gets kind of overwhelmed by it and just. I love when Somerset's like, oh, you read it. And he's like, part of it. Right, 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 right. (laughs) It's great. Um, Did you have any other specific likes, dislikes? Um, No, I just, I think the script is is brilliant. I think that the character of Somerset is so wonderfully realized. He's so profoundly caring. Like, I think about, like, that scene in the library where he's putting all that stuff together. He's not doing it for him. Right. right, He's he's doing it for Mills. He's like... You know, as much grief as he gives Mills and looks right in his face and like it's too soon for you, you know, right. like then he's like, OK, well, let me give you all of these things. I mean, he does want to satisfy his own curiosity. He even says that at one point. But he um, is just a very caring, open hearted person, right. which in the midst of the world in which he lives is staggering that well, he is able to maintain that. I wonder, does his conversation with Gwyneth Paltrow challenge the, the caring... Oh, oh, I see. I, what I understand what you're saying. No, but, I see what you mean. Um, I, I, but he's regretful and, of that. Sure. I, I do think that you're validating what I was saying in terms of this is not... And you sort of wish it was because it might have a more rosier resolution. It's not a traditional kind of buddy cop. Like, he's not really on the case. No, right. You know? Right. And, and, and he's just providing his sort of generosity of years... To, to help 
And, but again, it's the character beats. It's it's Pitt's ambition is propelling the narrative. Right. His generosity and courteousness and, and years on the job are helping him inform what Pitt does. Sure. But right. I thought you were about to say this in terms of his caring demeanor, his interplay with the library security. Staff yeah. It's yeah. great. Yeah. That's really um, great. It's re- just really strong. Um, so you feel like jumping into scares? Yeah, because we'll probably have to spend some time there. Everybody, just hold on to your butts. Just get ready. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Hashtag I love the 90s. Um, so I've got about six or seven here. Uh, one I've already addressed in terms of just the dreadful nature of the movie. Um, first real jump scare to me is Sloth's Awakening. Yeah. Sloth was at the forefront oh. of my... Yeah. And Sloth's... Uh, Sloth as a victim is at the forefront of the reason I was so terrified and stayed awake and everything. Just the idea of somebody coming tying me to my bed and I'm stuck there for a year and all that suffering right. and all this other sort of stuff. And and um, that line is so chilling. Uh, he's suffered more than any man I've ever seen or any other patient I've ever seen, and he still has hell to look forward to. Wow. Uh, I mean, it's it, the doctor says it to mm-hmm. Somerset oh, and right, right. And um, I mean, that is a. That is a heartbreaking and devastating and terrifying line. Yeah, it's the sloth is rough. The one that I don't even want to think about, uh, lust. I just I don't even want to think I about know. it. I don't. I, I don't know. even want to. Th- I, I don't. I don't even want us to, to unpack know. why that's I know. awful. It's just yeah. so much. It's awful. Um, uh, some that are not quite as flirting with theme as some others, but um, when Mills tells John Doe his name in the stairwell. Like that's it. Oh, that's man. it. It's done. Yeah, it's and done. And I want to put a pin there because that ties into some other stuff. But uh, pure, just kind of dreadful moments. The apartment building chase. Yes, that whole sequence. I mean, yeah. from the moment they see him down the hall. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, I didn't know. I didn't know how that was going to happen or how that was going to end. First time I saw it, I was right, like, "Oh my gosh, right. we're you know we're about midway through the movie. Like, what's what's going to take place?" Oh, man. Well, one other one I have is just the word in all caps, detective. Yes. Oh, my yes. gosh. Well, here's why that's terrifying to me. And here's why that's terrifying only on a rewatch. It's only possible on a rewatch. There's a shot. Mills has, is holding his gun on Kevin Spacey. Kevin after Spacey. He, after he yells detective? After he yells right. detective. He's holding a gun on Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey is in that moment saturated in his wife's blood. Mm, yeah. And it's on a rewatch, you right. catch that because right. you don't know that that's where, but I'm just sitting there. I was like, when I, when I've seen that movie again, I, I can't escape that reality of that moment. Whenever I see it, I'm like, good Lord. He's well, Oh, it's funny you say that because what I'm in the scares thread of conversation, what I've tried to hold off on, but a lot of this other stuff feeds into is, and what I wrote down is knowing the ending. What is to come hangs over the last 30 minutes like a grim reaper. Yeah. I mean, that, mm-hmm. uh, the answering machine reference at the precinct. Oh, no. Um, oh. He, when they're shaving and he references her coming home again. Yeah. Like, if you don't, that's what that's part of what makes this movie so expertly crafted. Yeah. If you don't know, these all just seem like incidental sort of things. Yes, right. But right. when you do know. It's horrible. It yeah. is. Yes. It's mm-hmm. like... Emotionally wrenching. <laughs> I remember even in the first viewing, Somerset's facial reaction when he opens the box. Oh, and we, man. Thank God in a film 
that is unre- like just unrelenting in everything else it shows. Thank God it doesn't show us the box. Yeah. Like just just. I'm, well, I'm, again, I think I think that's. Yeah, it, it shows you a lot of crap, or a lot of just gruesomeness and mm-hmm. grotesquerie. But I think that speaks to his his talent. Yeah. Storytelling wise, filmmaking wise, is know what to show, know what not to show. Yeah. Oh, exactly. But the look on Somerset's face, and when he starts radioing in, John Doe, John Doe has the upper hand. Like, <sighs> and and when he when he says John Doe has the upper hand, I remember even in the first viewing, I was like, what is I'm, say I'm, it, say yeah. It. What's in the box? What's in the box? You know, and I mean, I remember, I remember thinking, like, dear God, this is going to be awful. Like, I knew then at that moment, there's no possibility for a happy ending for this film. You kind of get it, the sense. Well, you know, of the, that's anyway. a line from the movie. He, I think it's oh. Freeman who says early on, "This is not going to have a happy. This is not going to have a happy ending." Yep. And, well, I think ugh. like. As dismal as it is, it's you're, we're making me want to rewatch it because it, because all it's the powerful. pieces work. Yeah, it's all powerful. the pieces work. I mean, that did. Do you know? Did anyone get nominated for this? I can't. I think I it had one. It I think it had one Oscar nomination, but I don't think any of them were performance. Uh, I think it was nominated for one Oscar. I'll look up real quick uh, for <laughs> best editing. Oh, but yeah. Well, what I think is of award caliber i mean all three of them are, are expert performances but uh spacey's delivery of the line to mills at the end there is become wrath oh, oh my gosh yes, yes. he's del- i mean huh. after the reveal it's when somerset smacks him you know and and he's like you know and the life of the of the child inside her and he like oh, smacks him yeah. the look on pitt's face pitt is a really talented actor and i think an underappreciated actor sure. but the look on pitt's face when he says that you that didn't whole no did you yeah but but spacey's right oh he didn't know cuz it is so mocking and it is so condescending right. and i'm just like oh, and and Again, the look on all the faces, because then the look on Freeman's face when he's like, "Any hope I had of stopping Mills is gone. Right. It's done. Right. You know, uh, any any hope I had of keeping him from doing exactly what John Doe wants him to do has vanished with just that one that one admission." And and again, we just sort of lampooned it ourselves. Pitts, what's in the box line? But just that whole uh, in agreement with you of his capacity performance wise. I mean, the range he has to pull from in a very short frame of time. Oh, yes. Absolutely. You know, even even to once he knows everything, immediately before the gunshots. Right. Like he raises the gun, he lowers the gun, mm-hmm. and then he raises it, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, that whole sequence, just kudos to everybody. Right. I don't know if that was a scripting thing, if that was a Fincher thing, if that was a Pitt thing. I don't know. But whoever... Whoever you know came up with that moment playing out the way that it did, brilliant, it brilliant. Because you see, you see every beat. You know, right. you you see when he, I mean, you see moments where he's like, I can't even believe this is happening. Is this real? Right. Yes, it's real, and it's his right, fault. Right, right. And, and then like, what did what did I just control hear? yourself? Control yourself. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, you see it all, and then he makes this active, intentional choice of consequences be what they are. This is what I'm going to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and. You know, even backpedaling from that specific moment, but that whole—it <laughs> it makes me think of um, my feelings on the movie *The Dark Knight*, where mm. you know that that experience. I don't know if you share this with that specific movie, but maybe a different movie where 
if the moment ever comes that someone has the Dark Knight on or it's on or whatever, yeah, and that feeling of like, okay, I'll just watch this scene. Uh. <laughs> that scene will crescendo, or will um, you know, crescendo is that the word I'm looking for? It, it will sort of die down, and then you're like, okay, okay. Well, then the next one starts, and you're like, okay, well, I'll just watch. I'll this just scene. watch the rest of it. <laughs> right, 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 yeah, it's pretty soon you've just watched the whole. Next movie. thing you know, you realize because, you've been sucked into the marathon. Right, right, because <laughs> it's just this compilation of expertly crafted scenes. Yeah, yeah. Well, seven is a little bit like that, though. Again, the grotesquerie is a bit of a turnoff, but that final chunk is just mm. so mm-hmm. potent and powerful from the car ride out to the desert to yes. the, the yes. shipment showing up mm-hmm. to Freeman. Again, the, the, the character nature, you know, again, you could, you could make a case that it's the convenience fairy at work. You can make sure. a case that it's all just the way it's supposed to happen in the character's intentions, right. Right. but leaving Mills with him so yeah. he can go be the one, mm-hmm. how much that would have been different if it were the opposite. Oh, you know, like, yes. But oh, just yeah. even from a pure suspense and tension standpoint, the choppers overhead, oh. you know, these wide shots from the sh- the chopper down and Freeman yelling to them to call them off. He's got the upper hand, get yes. out of here or some, I don't remember yeah, what yeah, he's yeah, saying, yeah. Yeah. but he's running back across mm-hmm. just hoping, you know, is he yelling at him to shut up or to stop talking? Yeah. Cause, he, cause the, he's the yelling conversation at is to, happening. Right. And he's yelling at John Doe to stop <sighs> talking to shut up. And it's not, it's not until Doe finally admits that, Gwyneth Paltrow was pregnant that he that Somerset smacks him across the face right but which is to my memory the first outburst of violence we've seen from Somerset in the entire film right um, he's so cool and reserved and collected through the whole thing that moment is the only one that we see you know him do that and yeah it it is it is devastating I mean it is utterly it is utterly a, a, the film breaks you down the film yeah. wears you away and the the final it's not a scare per se but you know uh, actually uh, I'll mention this and then if you have any other scares we can do that and then we'll dive right into themes but the um, the the final shot of Mills just in the back of the police oh, car yeah, yeah, yeah. wasted away to nothing yeah. like you know he's he's never I mean he'll be lucky if he makes it out of an asylum after sure. after that sure and uh, and then you know Somerset's just I'll be around. I don't know if he. I don't know if he's still retiring to that farm or not. Right, I don't know. Right. But I'll be. I'll be around. You know. And well, I kind of love like, you know, we're used to kind of like like a crime noir is not like Seven didn't invent that genre. Sure. But so many of them have, if not a happy ending, some sort of resolution. Like, right. Right. Like you just described, Freeman is going to go out to the farm and he's going to mm. live with the experiences, but he's there. Like it just it just ends. Yeah. It just stops. Um. And his, uh, th- this will be uh, an anchor to themes, so I'll save it for them. But the final line of the film is is really, really powerful, and I want to save it for when we get into themes. So, did you have any other particular scares or anything? No, um, I am good. I feel like we're we're brisking towards theme in a way that scares me because I'm gonna be a mess. Um, it's but you know what? This movie is almost all theme. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's yeah. I and mean, in I terms of in terms of our format, likes, dislikes, and scares all just sort of bleeds right. into right. what this movie is about. And I feel like there's one specific conversation we've had. I can't remember what the movie was where a similar thing happened where you we almost skimmed the surface of likes, dislikes, scares, not because they weren't there, but because it was all wrapped up. In yeah, the take thematic. shelter. I think, but yeah, maybe. Um, I, I do want to start us with a sort of softball on thematic stuff. Um, 
before I turn into a blubbering mess here, but one of the opening moments of the movie that I think is meant to perhaps meant to be an illustrator of what the movie, if there's anything hopeful that's attempting to be said by the movie, and I'm, and I'm actually not really sure there is, but if there's anything we're meant to take away as cautionary tale, it may be rooted here. It's when Somerset is on a crime scene and kind of no-name fellow detective. He he asks this no-name fellow detective, did the kids see it? Oh, it's the opening scene of the yeah, film. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And the guy says back, it's always the questions with you. The wife killed him. Anything else doesn't involve us. Mm-hmm. And and it was just this moment of like, uh, there it is. You know, like, like we are... Th- that the the we're only it's it, that wasn't my job sort of mentality like right. I, why why should i have to bother with a thing that's not my job quote unquote right um we're all in this on our own right you know mm-hmm. like just that that sensibility is what starts the film yeah it's, it's very cynical right terribly right. cynical but you know what's interesting about that is i don't find you made a passing comment just a second ago about i don't know how much hope uh, the film is saying this is a film. I go back and forth on this all the time, and I have arguments about this all the time. With uh, well, I'll, I'll just discussions, but I have discussions about this all the time with uh, people who find my fascination with the horror genre disturbing. Mm-hmm. This is a film that is bleak and is unrelentingly. Um, you use the word despair, and that's appropriate. It's a film that I would make a case is not utterly pessimistic. Now, here's here's here, here's what I mean by that. I think that the film shows us a hopeless situation. But in the midst of it, we cannot ignore. I cannot ignore. I can't ignore Somerset's presence in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, because some of the things he's... You know, he's constantly trying to help Mills, save Mills... Um, speaks as a voice of wisdom to uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, whose character name I can't remember. Oh, she's Tracy. So, so she um, uh, it all is also experiencing this conundrum about: Do I have this baby? Do I not? Right. And he speaks compassionately into that. Good lord, how tear jerking is it? You spoil that baby every chance you get. And then, but his final line of the film: Ernest Hemingway once wrote, "The world is a fine place and worth." fighting for and then he says i agree with the second part mm, mm-hmm. yeah. i can't ignore his presence sure, in the film sure. and this is why i say that the film is not utterly pessimistic is because i think by somerset's presence it's making an active statement that this world is ugly nasty cruel bleak and you will frequently lose right but it is worth fighting for sure Sure. The things that he says, the things he tries to do, right. the things he right. tries to infuse into each individual moment, those things are worth attending to and are worth fighting for. So I wouldn't consider the film, I, I, I guess I shouldn't say pessimistic because I actually do, now that I'm getting into the specifics of definitions, I would call it pessimistic before I'd call it cynical. I, I, I would sure, call it sure, bleak before sure, I'd call sure. it hopeless. I would, you know, like all of those kinds of things. It is undeniably... Well, and especially in terms of, you know, what it conjures in you as a viewer. Sure, of course. It is unabashedly uh, dark, though I do like that distinction you made. You know, a couple of other 
uh, thematic things. You know, I, when I, you just alluded to it, but when I watched it, this go round was as mentioned. So I, some might say naively so, but I've always been that personality who could find or, or worked to, how do I phrase this? It didn't take as much work and could often find the good. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, in in life, in a scenario, would often challenge the notion of, um, you know, because I know people, I know people in my extended family who would say the statement um, that Gwyneth makes, and that's how can I bring a child into a world like this? Right, right. You know, who and and that's that's a position and an outlook and a worldview that historically I would always find very off-putting and and would think no, you know, there is. Here's the world, beautiful and terrible things and all that. Um, but again, particularly this movie, this viewing caught me at a, a, a sort of vulnerable moment. And so his um, his line back to her, if you choose to have this baby spoil that kid every chance you get. Yeah. You know? and, and, and what is so powerful about that moment is the story he's just told. Right. Right. Which is, I chose not to. Yeah. And in fact, what he says is, I wore her down. Mm-hmm. My God. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. And And it's almost like, you know, you could make the case he's making penance that, mm. that, that you're, in other words, your articulation of his role sure. in the story yeah, 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 and, yeah. And, and what he's done since then is making penance for this type of thing. And, and of course, perhaps encouraging the notion of there can be good, but yeah. if you choose to be a participant of it, you have to, you mm-hmm. have to nurture it. You have to take care of it. And yeah, I don't right. mean that purely in a biological baby sense. I mean, just in, in the making good in the world kind of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, Oh, it's such a heavy scene. Well, and I, I love your extrapolation of that ending to before we get there, though, there's a couple of moments. In other words, before we get there in the movie, you know, what I wrote down is using, borrowing a quote from me is, are we just picking up the pieces? Oh, right. He says he lays right. out what they're doing, that picking up diamonds on a deserted island, hoping we get rescued. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and just finding that so terrible and heartbreaking. And I think for me, one of the last kind of thematic notes I took, I think it's the bar scene. I believe that's the scene where it is. And he says, I can't live in a place that nurtures apathy as if it were a virtue. Mm. It says love costs. It takes effort and work. We're talking about everyday life here. Right. Right. You know, and, and I don't know, I, I am with you and you, you make a good case of the final button of the movie is important. Yeah. Cause that, is meant to be a lens. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a, uh, a train of thought that I agree with and that, um, Tyler Smith over more than one lesson frequently states and restates, uh, that in many ways a film is about how it ends because that's mm. the, yeah. that's yeah. the thing that it wants to leave you with. That's sure. the note that it wants to end on. So if it's ambiguous, it, it wants you to ask a question pertaining to everything that you've seen. And if it, if it ends on a statement, it's making that statement about right, everything right, that you, right. that you have seen or an image or whatever it is. And so that to me, you know, it's poetic right? and it's, and it's clever. There's his whole, you know, I agree with the second part, but I do think that's, I mean, that's a realization that I think, you know, when Somerset's laying in bed before the credits roll, which disturbing, opening credits to be sure but before the credits roll he's laying in bed and he hears the people the sounds around him just yelling and 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 
and the cruelty and the and the there's there's uh, trauma everywhere all right, around right. him, and so he just does the metronome. just metronome, yeah. just that that tick, you know, that steady rhythm uh, of something. Uh, my heart hurts for him for how much he's seen, you know. Even sure. when he talks about, you know, the chief is like, I want to leave all this, and Somerset's like, what? How can you not? want to right, leave all right, you know right. that's not what he says but he's basically like you know a man was killed while just walking his right, dog right. and all that like how like why why would i not want to leave this you know and and i think that's something that we must keep in mind in time in times like the ones in which we live where it is so easy to get terribly cynical about where things are headed one of my biggest frustrations and we've talked about it on the show before but one of my biggest frustrations is when people of faith talk about end time scenarios and talk about it as if well it's all gonna blow up anyway uh, it's all no, gonna burn no. so who cares and i'm like that is i will say i will say this and i'll go on record that right. <laughs> that is anti-christ yep Yep. Period. Yep. Oh, it's all just going to blow up anyway, so who right. cares? This is what's going to happen. That is not what your king, I'm speaking to believers now, Like that is not what your king commissioned and called you to do. Right. In fact, right. there's a, the parable that he says about if a master leaves a servant in charge of a vineyard, he wants to come back to find the servant doing what he told him to do. Mm. That's what he that that's the analogy, the parable that Christ gave for how we should be in a world like this. Right, right. Not to just say like, oh well, it's futile. The master will come back and he'll fix it all. But that's the attitude that people come in to right, adopt. Right. They come in to adopt and they say like, because lest it be unclear, I believe in the return of Christ. And I know our non-listeners are like, wow, Reed has just gone off the deep end. It's my it's my deeply held conviction that the King is returning. Sure. And so out of that out of that belief. I also hold very dear to myself the what should I be about doing. Right, right. What right, he's called right. me to, what he's asked me to. And if you're Somerset, it's fighting for a despicable world. Well, and you, whether whether intentionally or not, promoted some imagery there. I'm going to piggyback on and actually answered my sort of final thematic question here. What I wrote down is Mills doesn't take it all seriously. Not that he doesn't take any of it seriously, but he doesn't take it all seriously. And the question that followed was, how do we engage a darkening world without getting our heads cut off, basically? Oh, wow. Um, And I don't think there is some panacea. You know, there's some just thing that we're going to do or think or believe that is just going to solve these ills. But that imagery you just put forth that starts the film of all of this cacophony is happening and Somerset starts the metronome. Mm. And it's kind of like, I think, in my understanding and my life in the trenches, as it were, like our metronome is that still small voice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the traumatic noises and, and experiences all around us that are saturating us, that are bathing us have to be fought but not with equal and opposite and forceful sound and violence right right but with quiet and stillness mm-hmm. and centeredness and oh, peace yes yes you know oh i, I totally and agree. i think and 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 maybe the more we're having this conversation the more i do feel like i don't i don't know that i'm ready to say the movie is hopeful but i am open as we converse to the notion that the movie encourages a potential for hopefulness. <laughs> mm, right, right, right. <laughs> you yeah. know, that 
there are ways not just to navigate, but maybe even to not just survive as well, but overcome and, and mm. to aid in the dispelling of that darkness. Right. It requires fortitude and sensitivity mm-hmm. and resilience and compassion and silence. Right. And stillness. Yeah. And I just, I think, I think what, and, and hear me, I'm, I'm, I, I'm willing to own this as much as whatever, but like perhaps where this movie caught me was in a moment where I had not been cultivating some silence and stillness. Right. When, right. when the voices do get overwhelming and oppressive. Right. And right. in a culture where in your phone are people screaming in your mm. pocket are people screaming. Yes. Yes. And, and, and all you do is tap the screen and it's all screaming. Yeah. And, and, and this is, this fills your every moment. Yeah. Your vision. It's again, it's on you. It's on your person. And if you're not, and I'm, I'm wagging the finger at myself. So this is not meant to be critical or condemning of anyone at all. But like, if you are not cultivating that stillness, that silence, that come away, yes, (laughs) you will get eaten Mm -hmm. and consumed and your head chopped off. Yeah. Yeah. Because (laughs) Because it is unforgiving out there. Yeah. You know, and I'm not the person who sees the devil behind every street corner, but it is unforgiving. Mm-hmm. And and without proper sensitivity and guard and preparation, sure, right, right, you, you will get beaten and battered. Yeah, no question. I, I love the connection that you've drawn between the metronome and the still small voice because what what does the scripture warn us about being double minded? Double mindedness, you're. At the behest of the waves. If the waves go this way, you flow that way. If the waves turn the other way, then you flow the other way. But the right. steady, the steady, strong tree planted by the water kind of kind of imagery is it, it is. It's this centeredness, like you said. It's this it's that is the track we were on. One right. of my most profound frustrations is uh, with believers in the midst of a world that is in chaos being even more chaotic themselves and reacting sure. with chaotic sure. reactions and I'm just going to explode on whatever else is here because everything else is exploding and, and by God we need to do this and by God we need to do that and I know I myself can be uh, a bit vocal about certain things that are going on in the world and can even be a bit uh, you know that amplitude goes up a little bit in my mind but I think there is a steady straight line it is a narrow narrow gate right. that we continue to sort of like no everybody broad all of all around miss is the broad things that are happening but through this pinhole right Right, here there is a path and we are to walk that path and it is hard and it is difficult because the waves are swirling all around us and the 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 cliffs are crumbling all around us but there is a path right right here that we've been called to follow and steady like a metronome anchored and and assured we beat that drum and when everybody else says you know peace peace and then suddenly destruction comes on the end we are beating the steady drum of Jesus is Lord and and the king is coming and this is this is is the anchor in which we we keep ourselves assured but we as believers as a collective believers have such a tendency to just fly on the whims of whatever right. political or right. social thing is going on and so because it's it's going that way well we've got to counterculture it or we've got to I think I, and this is another thing I'll go on record on let me just obliterate all of our listeners right now um, or any listeners who you know like hey we don't want them to get in this that uh, we ourselves are allowing the culture wars, which I think are a tool of Satan. 
I think that the culture wars are a trap of the enemy. But we allow ourselves, because of the fight over culture, we allow ourselves to get sucked up into nonsense. Right, just just right. sucked up into things that are of no value and no matter instead of staying on a very straight, narrow, anchored path that says, no, right through the middle of this. This is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is right, wicked. Right. And this is the truth of it sure. that we that we stay following the line. But we keep trying to countercompensate sure, for all of the sure, things sure. that are going on in the world. And we wind up looking just like the world. Well, I, I, the do whims think, of I do think, happening. yeah, I, I am not in any sort of disagreement whatsoever. I do think what becomes hard is, you know, how do you, I'll, I'll, this is going to seem like a random aside, but I actually had a, so there's two parties to this conversation. One I know and one I don't. The person I know, we were just randomly talking about uh, work-related items and he said, he was referencing someone else. He was like, yeah, you probably wouldn't really be down with this other person because they like to they like to use their faith as like an excuse in a lot of ways. And what he meant was this person in certain contexts, it's like, oh, the example he used was someone invited this guy out to the bar or something. Like, oh, hey, you okay. want to go get some drinks or something. These yeah. are adults. These aren't like teenagers or whatever. Sure. And the guy was like, no, I don't drink and kind of wore it real kind of you know, haughtily. Proudly. Yeah, yeah, right, sure. right. And, and, um, it reminded me of, what was the conversation about, uh, uh they have received their reward in full that we just had. Uh, the, uh, the conversation Witch? about, uh, Blair Witch. Okay. But that's what I felt. And, and it was interesting that this person was sharing the story with me. I was like, yeah. And, and let's take that a step further. Cause the question I was about to pose in light of your, you know, what thing you're describing was like, how do you, how do you combat? And I think it's it's just it's how you live, and it's it, it is that it is drawing upon that centeredness, that quiet. In other words, the difference between oh well, I can't do that because right. I'm a Christian, or this or that or the other. Right. Wearing wearing your faith like a um, a separator, mm -hmm. you know, something mm -hmm. that divides. Sure, right. Well, I can't partner with you in something that's ultimately pretty harmless. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a believer, right? You right, know, and, and right. which which really only further entrenches us. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah. I'm not saying go out and be a lush and no, and, no, of course and not. Find yourself wasted in an alleyway, right? Well, because the reverse justification happens too. There are people who, in the name of inclusiveness and in the name of broadening your appeal, I've seen people justify, uh, yeah, behaviors that clearly are not of the kingdom because they were saying like, well, no, I've got to, I've got to fit in and I've got to be sure. in this because you know I'm being a witness to them, and I, I was like, oh. And and not to be utterly dismissive of that idea, but I was like, so how much faith and theology did you talk about during all those times? Right, you know? right, right, right. And, but regardless of that, um, I do think that like like we've said that you know there's balance to it, and there's extremes on both sides of the fence that you could go to that. But I agree wholeheartedly with you that when people wear that as a, like a badge of of merit, of saying like, right, well, I'm right. I'm of the fold, you know, I'm of the well, then we're the Pharisee lifting up our hands sure, saying, sure. I thank God I'm not like right. all of those other people. And Instead of acknowledging, like, no, I'm I'm in it. Right. You know, I am I am in the thick of this the same way anybody else is, and I am as in desperate need of the gospel as anybody else. Um, I'd like to to bring in the scripture, um, just and perhaps with an eye towards winding down. Uh, I always knew from the inception of fear of God. When we get to seven, this is going to be the the scripture verse that I use. Um, first Peter chapter four, 
verses 7 and 8. It says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Mm. And I think it's easy to look at the context of this story and the depravity on display by the people who are John Doe's victims. They're helpless victims, so naturally his sin outshines the things that they have done wrong. Right, right. But, and I'm not condemning victims, and I don't even want to get into that rabbit trail, but just like, yes, there is sin everywhere right, in the right, world. Right, right. You can, you Vice. can, yes, vices, sort of. exactly. You could pick out like, well, that's their, that's their sin. And that's, you know, we've, we've talked about in other contexts, the idea of loving the sinner and hate the sin and how we don't even, we can't even articulate those dividing lines. We've erased the lines now right, right. and we just hate the sinner. And right. we need to just admit that most of the time when we say love the sinner, hate the sin, we have no idea what loving the sinner looks like because we're too busy hating the sin. Right. And so, we can see, yes, a multitude of sins abound around us, a mm-hmm. multitude of them. Mm-hmm. But we lose sight of the fact that above all else, we if we show love to one another, it covers those things. Right. That's the thing that has covered us. And by extension, you know, Christ said, freely you have received, so freely give. So that is the thing that covers us. Therefore, that is what we must, you know, cover other people. I think about this. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to try to actively resist going down another rabbit hole. But I think about this. I think about the biblical concept of covering nakedness, mm-hmm. right? We are in a culture right now. And I, again, uh, I believe in the idea of taking responsibility for what you've done wrong. I believe in that. And what I'm about to say does not negate that. But we are in a culture now that is automatically intending to expose any nakedness it can. Sure, sure. Any vice, any sin, expose it, blast it, push it up on there. One of the big problems that I have about some of the ways that social media trends tend to go is there are lots of fingers pointing out what other things have done, and that's probably fair, probably right, because sometimes those things are despicable and they need to be brought to justice. But I always have in the back of my mind, what did the person who posted it do? What have they done that if it, if a light were shined on them would be broadcast out to sure, everybody? Sure. You know, because that's what it is, is we are in a culture that is really driven by exposing the nakedness of other right, people. Right, right, right. Uh, really sure, driven. Sure, the the sure. vulnerabilities, the mistakes, the flaws, things that happened yesterday, things that happened 20 years ago, whatever it is. Right. And again, I'm not condoning actions. I believe in justice. I believe in responsibility. But... We are in a culture right now that is very keen on what's the next scandal, and let me throw it up there. Whereas, what what would it do if we as believers, as the followers of Jesus Christ, were the habitual coverers of nakedness sure. and the habitual sure. clothing of those who were exposed and vulnerable? Right. And I'm not talking about justifying arrogance, and I'm not talking about justifying these dismissive behaviors that are clearly wrong. I'm talking about just simply... The vulnerable, the weak, the naked, and the oppressed. If we, if we covered them rather than expose them at every right, possible right, right. turn and at every possible avenue, I think what you're describing is just that third way, and it is for for all the ways in which we might be prone to lean towards the the quote unquote social social justice side of things. Like we always have to keep in mind to, to you just describe that narrow way. Like you can fall off either side. Right of 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 whatever, but um, 
you know, something, maybe this ties a bow on what I'm trying to say and perhaps where you were headed to, but this notion of love covering a multitude of sins using a line from the movie, I think, you know, and, and even scripture in the new Testament, Jesus talks about some of this. I think, I think God and, and, uh, God in Christ towards us wants to spoil us every chance he gets. Mm. And Mm -hmm. it is our responsibility to do likewise. Right. Right. Regardless of error and offense. Mm -hmm. Like it it, it is your job and it is going to be painful and hurt like hell. Right. To view the people around you as beloved. Sure. Who hurt you and beat you up. Yeah, of course. But it's your job to spoil them Mm -hmm. because how else will they know? Mm-hmm. You know, right? How else right. will they understand or comprehend that love you just talked about and quoting scripture there? Um, and I just, I don't know. I think, I think that's 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 almost the scariest part of it all. Sure. You know, I mean, right. that is right. cross bearing. <laughs> yes, is is permitting yourself to get beaten up right. potentially to death by the world in an effort to display that love. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, any other thoughts or you want to dive into Mr. Pumpkins? You okay? <laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Enjoy the candy. Oh, my gosh. People sitting in their balls right now. Like, I know. <laughs> These guys are usually so much fun. <laughs> this has not been a fun car. I know. I know. I love the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag I love the nineties, everybody. Right, right. Question your number, mark? your number one pick. Yeah, hashtag yeah. I love the nineties. Um, well, and we we knew that the, clearly. We've known for a little while what the list was. We knew we wanted to finish with seven. It is right. It, one, it's a fantastic film. Two, not just from a filmmaking standpoint, but two, it gives a whole bunch of robust, ripe conversation potential, and 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 it, it's heavy, no doubt. Sure, um, right. But, you know, I think this has been a heck of a lot of a fun series. Oh, me too. Um, me too. I've had know, a blast. Uh, yeah. Hopefully you guys will enjoy pouring over the actual top 100 list and we can continue the conversation from there. But uh, for before we get to that specific beat, let's let's bring in Mr. Pumpkins. Let's bring in Mr. To, Pumpkins. To lighten the mood a yes, little bit. Yes, exactly. Goodness gracious. Fresh off of his, uh, his animated special, we're going to bring in Mr. David S. Pumpkins. As we do every film, we uh, rate this on a very specific metric of style, scares, and substance. And we're going to do that right now and, and aggregate that into a, uh, an official number. Um, style is uh, perhaps the easiest uh, of these to rank. It's a five for me. I think that I think there is no dismissing for a moment the which I did on the episode dismissing the potential preposterous nature of John Doe's ability to a strong word like implausibility implausibility okay. maybe okay, okay yeah yeah uh, the implausible nature of John Doe's ability to do what he does right it's flawlessly executed sure uh, it's uh, cradle to grave it is the uh, it is a near pitch perfect film um, so five for me first. Uh, style. You're not. You will get no kickback from me. It is a five. Yep. Absolutely. What about for you for scares? Five. This yes. is. This might be. This might be one of the scariest movies just I've ever watched. Just. Just. Yeah. Because it. It. It just does not pull any punches. Um. There's nothing supernatural about it, so I can't kind of write it off. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, like yeah. there's no ghouls and goblins and scary things and serial killers that you can sort of compartmentalize yeah. mentally. It's just what people do to each other. Right. Yeah. And from that standpoint, it is so scary. So five right. for me. 
Well, uh, no surprise here. Five for me for scares. It is on record the only film ever that has ever made me actually lose sleep. Sure. I can't not give it a five. Sure. You know, like it, it's the it's the only film that's ever terrified me out of being able to sleep. Uh, so yeah, and for substance for me, uh, this is no brainer. It's a five. It's a five is for this me. This about to happen. This I think this I'm is about to happen. Five. I'm is this the first anything? perfect score? Well, it's not the first perfect score. We gave Alien a perfect score, but. Alien, Alien was fives down the line? Alien was 4.5 for like one thing. One of our ratings oh, was a 4.5. Okay. So this is the first time on the Fear of God David Pumpkin scale where both of us have both been like fives across the board. Right. So, um, so yeah, it's an easy, easy math. It's a 10 out of 10, David S. <laughs> Six Pumpkin. fives makes 10. <laughs> easy math right there. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Um, but uh, no, and it's no surprise. I mean, honestly, when I saw it going into hashtag I love the 90s, I thought Scream had a shot at being number one. Right. Um, especially based on nominations. Scream was our most nominated film. Huh. Um, so most people included Scream among their nominations. But when it came time to voting, there was never there was never a different number one. Wow. From even the first few votes that began to come in. Seven ranked at number one. The more votes that came in, it just further entrenched that lead. Seven wow. was always the number one. Um, and it's easy to see why. Because right. because it is such an impactful... Because we have a sadistic crowd <laughs> that listens to our show. Yes, that's what it is. <laughs> um, because it's impactful and it's thought-provoking. And uh, I think it, it deals with some things that resonate... Uh, painfully but deeply with with a lot of people so yeah i i i understand why it's number one and uh and i personally agree listeners yeah, yeah if, if i was going to give it to anything else i'd maybe have given it to scream but scream's a little bit more fun and and kind of uh silly in some right, in right. some ways um seven is very serious and it's very very good 10 out of 10 david s pumpkins um that's awesome so, uh, so yeah, as we say every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope you have or have had, if you listen to this late, a very, very happy Halloween. Um, and uh, we, if you want to continue this conversation with us, you can do so in a variety of ways. The easiest and best way to do that is through Twitter. Nathan, what's our Twitter handle? At the fear of God. You can also like us on Facebook. You can follow us there, comment on one of our posts, or post there yourself. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter besides the fear of God? At the Nathan Rouse. You can also go to morethanonelesson.com, leave a comment on this post or any of the other official posts for our episodes. Uh, you can email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would very much appreciate an iTunes review. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. Congratulations on your listener-voted top favorite films of the 1990s. We hope you're happy with the list. I know you're not, Blake, but... (laughs) (laughs) And while we may be closing the door on the 90s for a season, we are opening the door on a little thing called the Upside Down starting next week. And I happen to have it on good authority that I think it's a pretty good conversation. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yes, I'm going to go watch some Stranger Things right about now. And we hope that uh, you guys have a very safe and a happy Halloween. And thank you so much for listening. Nathan, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Indeed, my friend. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.